He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere, a radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This, this is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and welcome into the Friday edition of Earl Farrell for Memphis. A lovely day outside, only 90 degrees, and still relatively low humidity out there. Uh, tomorrow morning, uh, just before sunup, it's going to get down to 62. You'll need a sweater. Looking forward. May get up even earlier tomorrow just to sit outside and go, Where? Uh, but every day we do get closer to fall, and so that's uh, the encouraging news there. Uh, the um, uh, headlines uh, that we're going to be looking at today is that uh, we've got George Gully uh, uh, with Jim Carr Chevrolet going to be in at four. We're talking about a car. It really is. I went out and drove it today. It's a, a brand new mid-sized SUV, and it's a, a, you can lease it for fifteen hundred dollars down and three hundred fifty a month. Go and try to buy a used car today, and I don't care what it is. Uh, you're going to have to finance it over about five years, and the payment will probably be at least $350. And uh, at the end of the thing, you've still got the repairs and everything else you got to do on the used car, so you never know what you're going to get. great thing about this is that it is, um, at the end of the lease, you can buy it for approximately 14000 which if you were to buy it from anybody else, it'd probably cost you 25000 and so we'll be talking about that, but it'd be a great car for somebody just getting that first car to go through high school with and then uh, buy it before they get into college, and then they'll still have a, an eight-year-old car by the time they get out of uh, college. So we'll talk about that. And then also Randy Wright with the dive shop is going to be stopping by talking about their big luau party at the dive shop on Saturday, and uh, that should be a lot of fun. About uh, it's up about 1 o'clock. They're going to have a roast pig and uh, – if you know Randy, you know he's an incredible cook, so that that will be an event to attend. Uh, tonight, as you heard on our news, um, we're going to be covering the Briarcrest football game. I think it's 7.55 is when the broadcast starts, uh, but they'll be out there. Uh, the whole uh, gang from KWM will be out there. Got a pop-up tent. Can't miss them. And uh, they'll be handing out fans. Uh, you might need it before sundown, but after sundown, it should be very pleasant. And then uh, the official plan to make downtown a safer place uh, is here. Memphis police are announcing uh, yesterday the launch of this new safety initiative. They're calling it the new pedestrian-friendly traffic control plan for downtown. It could start with telling people not to jaywalk. You ever go downtown? It's unbelievable. They just walk right out in front of you and daring you to hit them. I, I personally think many of those people are looking for somebody to hit them just so they can sue you. Uh, you hear more and more people say, Hey, you know, we kidded about it before you go downtown and have dinner and they go, okay, but whose car? Cause I'm not taking mine down there for a variety of reasons. And then you had last night, the 17 candidates showed up, to take part in the forum hosted by the greater Memphis chamber last night. Uh, they had, uh, Sheriff Floyd Bonner, state representative, Karen Camper, J.W. Gibson, Michelle McKissick. Van Turner, downtown uh, Memphis, and Paul Young. Uh, early voting begins September 14th, so just around the corner. And uh, they're still, they got one arrested in that uh, big heist at uh, Buster's Liquor we told you about yesterday. And 
you want to see the video, you can still go to my Facebook page. I put the whole video that's on Josh Hammond's um, security cameras, uh, which is pretty amazing. You get to see this guy actually get knocked down by a car. This guy that actually turned him in and called police. And so he was arrested today. But um, there's, I love this article. It said, it's hard to have nice stuff when you keep breaking it. The community reacts to busters smash and grab as crime continues to rise across the county. According to Shelby County District Attorney's Office, smashing grabs are on the rise. The majority of them are being committed by new offenders. In other words, all the people that were repeat offenders, they've got in jail, and uh, their latest crimes are actually making arrests. So these are the Nicky new guys coming along and taking their place. And the way you stop it is the same reason it has to stop all over the country, because it is going on all over the country. And that's put them in jail and keep them there. Uh I guarantee you, I used to go to the jail all the time when I was with the sheriff's office. Uh, we were always in there for one reason or another. Uh, I used to take the media in there as much as they would come because it took a while to, t- to actually get in the jail. You just don't walk up and go, hey, I got a couple of friends with me and I'd like to bring them in to take a tour. Uh, you got to, you know, go through security. And then the jail is huge. It holds about 5,000 people. And it's like a huge hotel, except. Uh, it's the crossbar motel. You do not want to go there. But I think uh, you should. I, I think that they should give regular tours of the jail to just show people what it's like because it's someplace you do not ever want to go to. Uh, just going in there. I remember when I first got there, I went in there, and uh, about a week later I got strep, which is one of the bad problems with hanging around. So after that, man, I wash my hands 50 times a day every time. you just going into 201 Poplar because all the people who get out of the jail, they go into 201 Poplar to courtrooms, and then they make bail, and then they walk out of the courtrooms. They used to run into them all the time doing live shots for the different TV stations I've worked for, uh, 201 Poplar. And they all come up there. they got no money. They're looking for somebody else to roust so they get some money to get out of downtown. And the, if I'm out there with lights on me and they come up and they start walking toward me, I go, stop where you are. Do not approach me any further. I feel threatened, and I will take action. <laughs> You'd be amazed how, how that worked. I never had one of them approach me any closer after I gave them the warning. But I was prepared to take action. Uh, but it is a dangerous city, and it doesn't matter where you are. Uh, and uh, the, the drivers are incredible. I just very seldom ever get out on the interstate just because of that. It's bad enough in traffic on Poplar Avenue. Uh, but it's... Uh, you know, and then the other thing that continually bothers me is that people just throw sacks of garbage out the window of their cars. I saw one on the way into the station today right off of Poplar on the street just east of, uh, or west, no, it'd be east of uh, Yates, right along beside Memphis Funeral Home. Just a whole sack of garbage. They just obviously pitched out the window of their car. And I actually have had people tell me, no, well, that's, uh, that would be taking somebody's job away if we don't, if we stop littering because, they would, you know, somebody, I said, nobody has a job of picking up trash. They said, that's our job, your job, every one of us's job to make sure we don't litter that we have a, a beautiful city. But apparently they want to make the rest of our lives as miserable as their own because I guarantee you, you look in their car. Like I actually had a, somebody tell me one time, you want to know what's going on in somebody's head, take a look at their car. If the car windows are cracked, they're dirty, you got trash all over the dashboard, you got trash all over the back uh, part of the car, uh, the car's got whiskey bumps on it, taillights out, uh, you know, paint, faded paint, that is the state of their life. And it's a, a truly a reflection of who they are and what's going on in their lives. See somebody else's car and it's neat as a pin, 
It's uh, clean. Uh, the tires are properly uh, inflated. And that's their life, too. And uh, really, if you just want to go around and say, uh, who do we pull over? Just pull over the crummy cars because you got to find out the crummy people are right there. Uh, admittedly, there's some people that uh, have older cars. But, you know, even an old car you can keep clean. It doesn't you need a little water and a little scrubbing, and, and you got it. So... Uh, if you want to make everybody feel like you're a contributing member of society, don't throw garbage out the window. Don't throw cigarette butts. Don't flick them out the window. You can pull up to one of the turn lanes along any of the overpasses in town and look down on the ground beside you, and there's just a million cigarette butts. Um, also, the uh, uh, this weekend, you've got uh, some more football going on. College doesn't start, I guess, for another couple of weeks, but... Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Even if it's hot, you, somehow you feel cooler when you watch football. I don't. I can't explain that. Um, but uh, uh, more on the Buster's uh, smash and almost grab because I don't think they ended up getting away with anything. They broke a bunch of bottles and busted out another window. But the workers at or at Wits End at Buster's liquor store in East Memphis, after thieves busted through glass windows, stole booze for the third time in the year. Memphis really said the thieves stuck around 4.30 a.m. Thursday. Uh, Manager says thousands of dollars in alcohol were stolen. I don't know how they got it stolen because they, the guys in the, the video I saw, um, they went into the store and started gathering. So maybe there was the ones or some of them had uh, big garbage sacks and ran around the side of the building when the pickup truck took off. Um, but it says just a, a lot of aggra- aggravation and frustration for the cleanup. We have to go through just to steal a few bottles of tequila, said Patty Smith, Buster's management. following day, the damage can still be seen, including broken pillar and a broken wall, glass wall. Uh, Smith has lingering questions about the potential financial fallout. What's our insurance going to be? Because obviously your liability now, said Smith. A lot of people are doing this. And in fact, uh, we talked about it the other day, people who get their cars uh, broken into, uh, just get to where you don't turn it into your insurance company because you get about three of those and they just don't even answer your calls anymore. They just sit and they cancel you and you do not want that. Um, but, uh, they did make an arrest. Memphis police arrested, uh, uh, 23 year old Malik Pilgrim. He's one seen in the surveillance video. You can look at him on my Facebook page, Earl Farrell, uh, smashing a truck in the Buster's liquor store in Highland. And he's also armed, so he's going to be facing change, charges for that. And a lot of the uh, – Josh Hammond told me a lot of the guys that were in on the the, the last big uh, break-in where they had about 25 people involved in that bomb rush, and there many many of them are still in jail under really high bond. So that is what needs to be happening. Then when they finally get to court, they need to go away for a long time. And I think they'll do a lot to discourage – other young entrepreneurs from getting into the uh, into the crime business. Uh, we we got a caller on the line, uh, Lisa in Memphis. Good afternoon, Lisa. Hey, how are you? I was just trying to find out the dude or the guy or whatever you want to call him that was caught red-handed, uh, red-handedly, I guess, in that jewelry store or wherever. No, the liquor store. liquor store, Buster's, yeah. So are they just going to pull him out and just go ahead and sit him down and give him his sentence? No, it'll go through the process just like anything else. First, they'll set his... For for what? It'll be uh, burglary and uh, possession of a weapon in the process of a burglary. 
No, what I'm saying is, why would they go through that? I mean, do, he was in there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I understand, he, but it, it, he was in there. <laughs> Throw him to the wolves. Well, now. believe me, I I feel the same way you do. But we do still have a legal process that everybody goes through, and in this country, you're presumed innocent until found otherwise. Uh, but well, I that's do. The case. I'm glad you say that. If you presume innocent until guilty, I mean, what is it? Presumed innocent. Well, when, well, then why do they even arrest somebody then? Well, because uh, he was caught red-handed uh, with a gun in his hand, and he's on video fleeing the scene, and uh, and they caught him. So, but uh, you know, there are a lot of people that prescribe to the old theory: just take him out back behind the barn and shoot him like a rabid dog. No, <laughs> at least chop his fingers off or something. You know. <laughs> well, they they do it in middle of the Middle Eastern countries, and guess what? They have no it's no crime. In fact, it's uh, in the Arab Emirate Republic, uh, they uh, they deport you. Most of the people that uh, that work do the manual labor and everything in A R B. Uh, are from other countries, and if you get caught, sort of like most of the people in this country now, if you get caught doing anything illegal, they deport you. They don't take you to court. They don't, but they yeah, they don't yeah, have a yeah. That's <laughs> send him. Yeah, he was no doubt. You did it, brother. You did it. So we're gonna put you on this bus. We're gonna. I'm serious. Matter of fact, we're gonna transfer on my way to take you to 201. You're not gonna make. We're gonna transfer you. We're gonna do a transfer. And send you on to Russia or wherever, and let you fight over there. Well, at least you sound just like everybody else I know. Everybody is sick and tired of this. Uh, that the citizens are supposed to be the victims, so it's like we're the criminals, and the criminals are the victims. Makes yeah. me that, that makes me so sick. It does, um, but I have to hurry up and clean my car before I can clean my car because yeah, make sure I, you. I mean, some, Sometimes you get in the situation, you're rushing and stuff, but I was listening to you talking about a shabby person, a shabby car. <laughs> well, I'm fixing to hurry up and clean mine out. Oh, well, all right. I'm not shabby. <laughs> well, Lisa, you sound like a good citizen. You just need to clean yeah, the windows. I am. <laughs> okay. I am. <laughs> well, thank you for tuning in, okay. Lisa. All right. You have a all safe right. weekend. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Stay with us. And welcome back on this Friday afternoon. Hope you're getting off early today. I give you my permission. Just go in and tell your supervisor or boss that Earl says it's okay for me to leave early today. <laughs> if they got a problem with it, tell them to call me. The number is 260-5926. I'll tell them they can take off early too. Hey, let me tell you something. If you notice, none of the big bosses are ever around on Friday. So what are they going to do to you? <laughs> you just say, I'm taking off too. And you get out of there. You skedaddle. You uh, fire up the old car and get out of there before the tr- rush hour traffic starts. So you have my permission. Uh, looking around on the national headlines, uh, you get, uh, let's see, could uh, Trump be booked into the violent Atlanta city jail? Uh, they can book him. I don't think that, I don't know whether they can touch him to be able to fingerprint him because he has Secret Service protection. And they are very strict about what goes on around the president or an ex-president. And manhandling the president, I don't think, is in in, in the order. Uh, and it's not like there ain't no pictures of him around to identify him. Uh, look anywhere, you'll find him. And as far as putting him in jail, there's a lot of discussion that even if he was found guilty of anything, they could not put him in prison because the Secret Service could not protect him in a, any kind of a jail situation. 
So as much as all the uh, people out there that don't like the Donald are hoping he has to do the perp walk, they'll put him in an orange jumpsuit and and put him in a jail cell, I I really don't see that happening. I I think there would be a lot of people who would be very angry with that just because it is – it is more than just Donald. It is the office of the president of the United States. I think a lot of people forget about that, that this is our country. This is this is how the rest of the world looks at us, no matter who's president. And to treat our president that way, who has the right to do that? Uh, I don't think these scoundrels, and I do think they're scoundrels going after him in this manner. They're doing everything they can while they have the Department of Justice, and that is a very loose term, uh, running things uh it does it gets it makes you feel like leslie does about crime you know you just go i'm so sick of it and then you hear about maui and what's going on over there and the fact that they have it's the largest military installation in the world for our, our military air force marines navy army uh, they've got literally hundreds of thousands of uh, troops there and all the equipment and ships and airplanes and they haven't done a thing in Maui. I understand they're starting to activate them now, but this has been nine days. Uh, no flyovers, dropping water on the town. And I understand the actual fire didn't last but about an hour, the, the wildfire. But it burned for, for many hours after that, nothing. No hospital ships pulled up. No amphibious vehicles uh, that could have pulled up right to the beach. Uh, nothing moved. And now they've got the thing locked down. Um, and uh, Tulsi Galbert, I heard her on an interview this morning. She was a former uh, state representative from Hawaii, and then that was part of her district. And she said the reason that the recovery has been so slow and they're, they're keeping everybody out of that area is because they're still missing over 1,000 people. They've recovered the, the remains of, I think, 116, something like that at this point. But it takes, they have to go into each and every building, home, structure with a cadaver dog. And the cadaver dogs can only work for 20 minutes, then they have to take a break for 20 minutes because they're very intense animals. And I've been around when they search and they start in, they don't stop until they have to be dragged away and then they make them stop. Uh, and in some of these cases, uh, she described like a four story boutique hotel that they don't know if anybody got out that it was happened that fast and it burned to the ground. I mean, no walls left up. I mean, we, we covered fires. I've covered fires for 50 years. And usually there's the side of the wall, a chimney, something is left standing. Uh, but in this case, nothing is left standing. And, uh, it is just, uh, uh just a horrible process because they have to go through and with, uh, and uncover anything. So the, the cadaver dogs could get to it. And this it may it may not be over for days, if not weeks, before they can search that entire area. Then you have the situation with water that we still don't ha- have much a clue on that, and, and we're going to talk more about that because uh, they were not allowed to use water from the reserve reservoirs to fight the fire. And what was up with that? We'll talk about it in the next segment. And welcome back on a Friday afternoon. Uh, we were talking about Maui a minute ago in the fire, and uh, 
that the they had a real problem with the water there. This is an article in the New York Times. It said firefighters who rushed to contain the Maui wildfire found that hydrants were running dry, forcing crews to embark instead on a perilous rescue mission. It said during the frantic moments on Tuesday after a wildfire jumped to containment near a residential neighborhood in Lahana, Hawaii, firefighters rushing to slow the spread were distressed to find that their hydrants were starting to run dry. Hoping to control the blaze as it root among homes along the hillside, nearly a mile above the center of town, fire crews encouraged water pressure that was encountered water pressure that was increasingly feeble. With the wind turning the stream into mist, then the inferno stoked by hurricane force gusts of wind grew. Roaring further toward the historic center of town on the island of Maui, the hydrants sputtered and became largely useless. There was just no water in the hydrants, said the Kiataho, one of the firefighters who was on duty in Lahana. The collapse of the town's water system, described to the New York Times by several people on the scene, is yet another disastrous factor in the confluence that ended up proceeding and producing what is now the deadliest U.S. wildfire in more than 100 years. The lack of water forced firefighters into an extraordinary rush to save lives by risking their own and has left people searching for answers about how the community can better prepare for a world of fiercer winds and drier lands. Edwin Lindsay III, who goes by Ikolu, a Lahana resident who lost his home and also sits on the county's board of water supplies, said he spoke with a firefighter who said it had been demoralizing for crews to watch the advance of the fire with little ability to slow it. He said he had hoped that the water issue would one of a number of challenges the community faced, including a struggle to evacuate all restaurants, would be part of a larger discussion about lessons from the fire. What do we learn from this, he said. The water system in Lahana relies on both surface water and a creek and groundwater pumped from wells. Persistent drought conditions combined with population growth have already led officials in the state and local level to explore ways to shore up water supplies. One of the problems is they've somehow entered into a partnership with the state of Hawaii and these big plantation owners that grow pineapples. And they what they've essentially done is cut off a large supply of the water from the citizens that live in Lahana and make the water primarily available to the plantation owners to, uh, to water their and irrigate their crops. And so when it came time to they needed more water, they had to get permission from somebody at the state government, and uh, they didn't, they would not give it. And that's one situation. Um, we're going to have on our water expert next week to talk about it. And on his business card, he actually says, Water the new gold. And it is looking like that's a very real possibility. Those who have the water make the rules because uh, with water goes life. And if you can't get it, uh, you know, there's nothing you could do. You can't put out fires. You can't grow anything. You can't survive. Uh, the other situation was they didn't put out any kind of the warning sirens that we hear every Thursday. They they play them just to make sure everything's working. And uh, they did not sound those alarms because, according to their first excuse, they said they didn't want anybody to think it was a tsunami. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, who's from Hawaii, said that that is BS. That the uh, everybody knows in Hawaii that you get at least two days. If a Japan has an earthquake and a tsunami starts, it takes two days to get there. Same thing with Alaska, and no, there had been no warning of that. 
at least give the people some kind of warning. Sound the alarm so that they look out the window to say, hey, maybe something's happening, like a fire. But they said there are people that were in buildings that never even left the building because they didn't know. And the, the excuse from the guy that was head of early warning systems said he was afraid that they would head to high ground thinking it was a tsunami and then they would be burned in the, the, the fires. Give people a little credit. If you come out of your house and you see fire to your left, you go to your right. You don't go into the fire. Uh, he has since resigned, and I think there have been some other people that have been uh, uh, relieved of their duties and maybe transferred. But, you know, the thing is, that the, the, so many people in government think we're all idiots. That they'll just tell us anything and we'll go along with it. I see less and less of that, especially after the pandemic. Now people are going, hey, you know, this doesn't make sense. And I've always said this, having been a reporter for 50 years, if something doesn't make sense, either you're not getting all the information that you need to make a, a rational judgment of the situation, or it just doesn't make sense because somebody's not telling you the truth. And more and more, as we've learned, uh, not telling the truth is a big problem with a lot of people. And it's uh, cover your butt and uh, tell them anything that, that you think will placate them for a little bit because something else will happen and that'll take over the headlines and we can move on down the road, even though it may be the back streets to get away from here. Uh, but uh, we're going to keep on this and, and, and keep uh, keep watching it because, uh, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, or just like we're continuing to look at what can happen on Mud Island. I'm going to have some more people on next week talking about that, that uh, they totally transformed Tom Lee Park. Looks like they're going to give Memphis and May the boot. From there, because they can't afford to go down there and spend one point six million a year, because they said they damaged the property. And I'm also hearing, and we're going to confirm this, is that the people that came in and assessed the damage are the same people that uh, are doing the construction and came in and assessed the damage of what it cost to fix it. To me, that sounds like a conflict of interest. I mean, you should have somebody that's totally on bias come in and survey what possible damage that was done during Memphis in May. And then you could have uh, somebody else. It doesn't need to be the company that's down there now making money, millions, uh, doing the construction to let them tell you how much it's going to cost. That's like them writing themselves a check. What's wrong with that? Well, if you've ever had yard work done, you know what's wrong with that. <laughs> you, t you go to your guys and say, hey, uh, we, we hired you for $200 to uh, clean my yard. And you came back and said, there's still a lot of work to be done here. But you said $200 would do it. Yeah, but then there's this, this, and this. Let me get see if I can get another bid out there. But they didn't do that. They stuck with whatever's there. I still think that somebody else ought to be able to go and take a look at that. And it could be the insurance companies because they're going to pay part of it, and I wouldn't pay it until I knew that it was actually legit. But we will keep an eye on that as well. And in fact, uh, I put up a picture today that came up with, you know, how uh, looking back in time on Facebook, and it was a picture I took one morning nine years ago, headed down Riverside Drive to go do live shots uh, for the morning show on Fox 13. And it's a shot looking toward the north on Riverside Drive, still up on the hill. You can see all of Tom Lee Park, the bridge, the few trees, and mostly open space. And I said, it's hard to believe that just nine years ago you could see the river, and now you drive down Riverside Drive, and there's only one about a, maybe 60, 70 yards of open space that you can see through and see the river if you drive down Riverside Drive. And then uh, a friend of mine, Lyman Aldridge, put up a picture today of him standing almost at the same place, but um, in this park that's downtown, above the Tom Lee Park. 
with the, the skyline all behind him, the same view, though. And I said, you know, it really is hard to believe we spent $65 million hiding the great Mississippi River from anybody. I mean, does that make sense? I mean, it's the Mississippi River. It's one of the great uh, attributes of Memphis. That's why so many people would come here. You want to go see the river. I, I can't tell you how many people have been out of town. We'd go downtown, and, and you pull up out there, and you get to walk right up to the river. And and people were just amazed that there it is. It's not, you know, a half a mile away looking down on it. You could walk right up to the edge in Tom Lee Park and look at it. And I guess you could still do that once the park opens, but you got to park two miles away to get there. And there's no more parking. I mean, I think they're going to have 18 parking places at Tom Lee Park. <laughs> so, you know, the elderly can figure they're out. Uh, the really young kids, they got to push them in a little buggy or something to get them there. And that leaves anybody else uh, that wants to go there parking up by the Orpheum Theater, which is the closest parking, or the FedEx Forum, or Beale Street, and then hoofing it on down there. I guess you could get an Uber to take you down there and then come pick you up. But uh, uh, we're going to look more at uh, what the possibilities of doing something in Mud Island, maybe moving uh, the barbecue to Mud Island, along with Music Fest. I think it makes a lot of sense. And the only rub I've heard is that the the uh, Brooks Museum is moving down there. They don't want some tacky Ferris wheel out on Mud Island to spoil their view. <laughs> well, too bad. All right, we're going to take a quick break, uh, come back and tell you about how people don't want to have small talk anymore. I don't understand that. Uh, we'll talk about it. Welcome back on a Friday afternoon. You know, I think before the pandemic, I think a lot of people, that was one of the things we all enjoyed doing was staying high and running to each other at the store, stopping for a couple of minutes and uh, kind of catching up on what's going on in each other's families. Uh, but since then, uh, a survey reveals most Americans would rather sit in silence than make small talk. It said that the small talk topics Americans dread most are sports and current events. Questions about sports, work, and marriage are the uh, cringiest small talk things. And uh, it said that as far as who's the, the, the people that dread it the most, uh, it said small talk might soon be a lost art. We learned that two and three Americans have used their phones to avoid making small talk. In other words, they'll point to their ear and say, I'm listening to, I'm on the phone right now. Uh, younger Americans are especially prone to using the evasive tactic compared to baby boomers, 30%, Gen Z, 89%, are much more likely to check their phones instead of striking up a conversation about work or weather. I mean, I've seen literally when I was, my kids were still in college, we'd go to a football game, Mississippi State, I'd say like 10 or 15 kids all walking in a group, not talking to each other, but all on their cell phones texting somebody. They could have been texting somebody right beside them. But but not talking to them. It said uh, many Americans make small talk with strangers at retail stores, 62%. Grocery stores, 51%. Work, 51%. But plenty make small talk with people closer to them. Uh, nearly half, 46% of Americans make small talk at home. Are you kidding me? Small talk at home? So what do you do? Walk up to your wife and go, so, how's it going? What's happening? How was your day? I mean... We talk in my family all the time. We call each other. Uh, I very seldom ever text unless I can't get a get her to answer the phone. Then I'll send a, a text. Uh, 
but it's uh, I do think that the ditching the mask, I've enjoyed it for no other reason. You can see people smile. I mean, I smile at people all the time. You're in store, you make eye contact, you smile, say good morning, and they smile back, and you go, that was nice. Because for so long, you couldn't, if they were smiling, you couldn't tell it. And you didn't want to say hi to somebody if you couldn't tell whether they were receptive to a howdy-do. And so nobody said anything to anybody. You just, it was like a bunch of zombies walking around there. Remember the movie Soylent Green? Everybody was just walking around in gray suits like Miles Say Tongue and waiting to find out when they had to go to the factory to get turned into some kind of meat du jour. Uh, but I do think people are starting to come out a bit more. And if you smile at somebody, you're more inclined to say hi. I know when I stop to fill up my car at Costco, very often I'll sit there and say hi to the guy. There's, they got a couple of attendants that are always there. They always come up and say, hey, how you doing? And we talk about the weather and, uh, you know, is it going to get hotter? How could it get any hotter? <laughs> but uh, I, I think we're very social animals. And I think it's it was the, the pandemic had just absolutely destroyed that sociability. And I think it's uh, we should get back to it. I mean, growing up in West Texas, we all waved at each other driving down the highway. Now, one reason is because nobody was out there. So if you saw a car coming way down the road, and it was coming towards you. Couldn't wait till they got like uh, fifty yards away, and you give them the old howdy duty sign, and they would wave back at you. And so that was uh, the extent of the interchange. But nonetheless, it was a friendly thing to do. And then when you pass somebody, I remember when I was at Texas Tech, and certainly in high school, you go up down the halls of high school. Hey, hey, good morning. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Mary. How are you? And then so it was just a way of life. Then I got to Texas Tech, and it was the same thing there because it was out in West Texas. And most of the people that went there were from Dallas, Fort Worth, and then further west. Then I got transferred to the University of Texas. I'll never forget my first day on campus. I see this very attractive girl walking toward me. And I said, morning. And uh, she told me what I could do with the morning. <laughs> I went, what? What did I say? And she just kept walking. And so I said, look, you understand, here at the University of Texas, there's students that come from all over the world, and a lot of them from the Northeast. And they don't say, howdy do. <laughs> In fact, if you say anything to them, they'll tell you how you can get off the taxi cab as quick as possible. And uh, and they did. But I think it's a southern thing. And uh, I know that when I've been in New York City and you say hi to somebody or start, to, you start a conversation, they don't talk to you because that's usually the beginning of some kind of a con. That somebody's trying to pick your pocket and distract you or uh, get you to, hey, step into the alley. Let me show you some watches. You know, So nobody talks to anybody there which is a weird thing in itself, but, uh, it's, uh, I think it. I don't want it to be a lost art. Cause I think that's one of the things that makes it great getting up every day and running into people and saying, hi, how are you? And, and how's it going? And, um, and, uh, it's just, uh, I've been, I've been yakking my whole life. I mean, that's what I make a living to I'm a yacker <laughs> and I enjoy it. And I enjoy talking to people and having to tell me stories. And I tell the stories, uh, about them. One of which is, um, and this has been Elvis week, all last week and through uh, Tuesday this week, but Elvis Presley's favorite sandwich uh, featured the uh, peanut butter. And uh, the uh, nanner bananas and peanut butter, <laughs> which you think about it, you think peanut butter is hard to eat on a dry sandwich. Put some bananas on there, too, and then you try to... It's like feeding your dog peanut. You ever see your dog trying to eat peanut butter and get stuck to the roof of his mouth and they're trying to lick it away? 
but uh, he did love um, peanut butter, banana, and bacon. And if you think about the combination, it's really good. I saw a recipe on one of the morning uh, shows, uh, National Slaves of Fox and Friends, and uh, it was the one uh, uh, Peter Ducey, uh, his dad, uh, is, used to make this. It's, it was pasta and peanut butter. He would make it for school. And you, at first you go, what? But then you think about it, the saltiness of the, the peanut butter, and it's high protein, and then you mix it with pasta, and you eat that so you get protein. You got the pasta in there. It gives, it gives uh, you know, uh, it, it's every bit as good as peanut butter, banana, and bacon. If you put some bacon in the pasta and peanut butter, it'd probably be even better. Call it an Elvis pasta. <laughs> anyway, we're going to take a quick break. George Gully with uh, Jim Karras Chevrolet's coming up next. I'll tell you about a car that's a heck of a deal, whether you're a, a retired person looking for good... He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere. A radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. Hey, thank you very much, and welcome back. Joining me in the studio is my good friend George Gully with Jim Karras Chevrolet on Covington Pike. Good afternoon, George. Good afternoon back, Earl. Glad I'm here today. I'm glad you are, too. I always enjoy visiting with you. I got to see you twice in one day because I was out uh, at Jim Karras this morning, and I got to test drive. I said, find me something that's a good deal on a brand-new car. And he sure. said, okay. So I get out there, and we go walk to the back to the lot. And there were three of these trailblazers that are mid-sized SUVs. That's right. The it's three called of, a crossover SUV. Crossover. And, and they say that for the reason being it's not really off-road as in you go out into the, quote, gullies or the uh, <laughs> No pun intended. Fields. No pun intended. <laughs> I had to throw that in on But it, it's higher off the ground, yeah. and it gets better gas mileage than – Almost any truck I know, you you noted that it I did. well over thirty miles to the gallon, and it's got great pickup, and it's uh, it's got remote uh, start because uh, you right. were walking. Around. I was standing by the car, and I said it started it's up. Air and I went, conditioning going. I said George must be around here somewhere. That's right. <laughs> but what what a feature, and that's just that comes with the car. Uh, you only got five of them in. You've already sold two. Well, that's right. And and the point I was making to you this morning, Earl, there are deals out there. You you just have to ask. And find someone that can explain the deals to you. And in this case, we noted this was a three-year lease, folks, for $350 a month, and it required only 1500 out of pocket uh, without getting into all the details. That 350 is all you pay. And then at the end of the lease, you have the option to buy it for around $14,000 or give it back to the bank or take the equity. There is no negative equity as long as you're staying within the sure. mileage. And 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 you you keep that up, and I mean, you, yeah. If you damage but it, you anyway, have warranty the whole time. You do, and so anything that goes wrong is going to be fixed. Uh, the other thing too, I think, is great about it is, and you explained it to me, and I thought this is really very smart. If you buy this car for somebody just getting their license in high school, sixteen, and they keep it through high school, uh, then the car will be up for buying it. So you buy it for them for their college car for fourteen thousand. That's right. And then they keep so you're it. You're home growing your own yeah. free owned car. You know the history of it. It's been under warranty, and you can probably get an extended warranty after the regular warranty goes out. So it's still you can continue warranty. 
But the thing about it is, it's you try to find a, a good pre-owned car that's only three years old for for fourteen thousand. No, you ain't gonna do it. Anymore. They don't exist. Uh, we I get a call virtually every other day. An individual is looking for that ten to fifteen thousand dollar car, and in this case, this client was looking at an '08 um, vehicle with lower miles, say one hundred twenty thousand for a fourteen fifteen year old car. That seems high, but yet it's it's really not. And they were going to spend $12,000. Well, in this case, that person's going to spend the same money on a brand-new car, fully covered under warranty, and it's really the better buy. It is, and it's a new car. And it's safer. Yeah. With a new technology. Absolutely. So I would give my son something like that, hands over fist, over what we just discussed. Well, the same thing, and we talked about this for somebody who's retired, and they want the number one fear most of my friends who are older is that they're going to break down someplace. Yeah, because they do not want to get stuck somewhere on the roadway with a car that just stops on them. This is a brand new car; it's under warranty. And uh, a good point you just brought up: there's roadside assistance associated with this vehicle that you wouldn't have on a 15 year old car. So the uh, General Motors representative will come come fix it at no cost to you. Absolutely, and it's uh, so it gives you a feeling of security. Whether it's your wife that you're taking, want to make sure she's safe, or the both of you share the car, it's just you want to, safety is a very important thing to everybody right now. Absolutely, and and so this is a good, safe car, and it's it's gonna it runs like I mean I could believe the pickup on it, and it's roomy and it's perfect for for either somebody that's uh, uh, young or old, and, and but the price on the front end getting in for fifteen hundred dollars is huge. Because you didn't realize this, but that included the um, tax title and license as well as the first payment. So it's really thirty-five payments, wow. not thirty-six. Yeah, and for the the the, used, the pre-owned car you were talking about, that was for five years instead of three. <laughs> yeah. So there. Yeah, it, it was the math just uh, stunned the the client of mine. Yeah. And he said I had no one. What he was really more worried about is it was how do I explain to my son I was going to give him a fifteen-year-old car now I'm going to give him a brand new one. <laughs> How did you explain? How yeah, well, did he explain it to do? It was what was your first day. car when you were? Well, we just talked about it. I had an Opal back in uh, seventy. Who made Opal? I, well, in this case, Buick. It, that's right. I was trying to think. Yeah. Who, I remember the car <laughs> it, distinctly. It was a German car, but uh, Buick imported it under the name Opal. So. So mine was, uh, I think it was 1965, and it was a 61 Volkswagen uh-huh. that I had to share with my sister. Now, the good thing was she had a boyfriend, so on Friday and Saturday night, they went in his car, so I got the car all most of the time, and we shared it you know, during the week. Uh, but I remember picking up dates in West Texas, had no air conditioner. Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> they'd say, can you turn the air conditioner on? And I would turn the fan on, and they would roll up windows. Yeah, like crank a, up windows, probably. <laughs> they did crank up windows. Uh-huh. They say You don't even see that anymore. No, you can't find them. Uh, in fact, my brother's was a 61 Chevrolet we called the Rat Wagon, and uh, it, we bought that for five hundred dollars. I there remember go. going to the used car lot, and th- there were some beasts in there. I mean, some nineteen forty eight model cars, oh and those gosh. none of those exist after the buyback during the Obama years. Well, that's right. I, I worked through those years. That that was an incredible time. And the, all the cars you used to be able to work on are gone. They are every single one of them, unless they're collector items, and now they are collector items. In, in today's market, what the people are telling us are. Sh- finding out is that these days of this five thousand seven thousand dollar car are almost gone yeah or they're questionable at best 
Well, and it's more and more uh, they're driving everybody toward electric cars. I know the price is coming down on some, and they're building the blue oval that's going to make mm-hmm. Ford out here. That's right. But there's still so many people. You see them every day. Do you, I mean, you, you guys are selling them EVs. Sure we do. Sure and, we do. But and you're going to see more and more over the next four to five years. As, they, as it gets better and better, but there's still, uh, you know, there uh people that, because that, as it is now, you still have to park it and charge it for a while. If you go to Destin in an electric vehicle, you're going to spend the night somewhere around Birmingham. That's right. To charge it up to get into Destin and the same thing. Unless you've home. got a tier three charging system of which not many people know where they are or even, um, you know, how to find one. Well, did you have to wait in line there? Well, that's what you're exactly I correct. saw a picture out of California a few weeks ago, and it must have had 30 cars lined up waiting to get in a charging station. All right, I'm going to cut you off because did you see where the state of Tennessee is uh, attempting to levy on the electric vehicles a new vehicle tax? No. I saw it this morning, and, of course, we, we all renew our registration, and we pay, well, you know, in the range of 125 and they are – proposing uh, to levy $250 plus dollars per electric More. More. And let, me, let me guess why. Because of the weight. I, I, I didn't see the I, justification. What, what I'd heard is that they weigh so much more than conventional vehicles because of the battery that even parking garages are not going to allow some of them to park in parking garages because of the weight. If you get 10 uh, electric vehicles... Instead of 10 conventional gas vehicles. That, that may be true, but the way that it was explained on the local TV that I saw, uh, the fact that you wouldn't be buying gas and that gas missing is out the, the basis tax. of all of TDOT's revenue stream. Well, that, that's very true as the well. The tax on the Sure. Gas. And that tax wouldn't exist in EVs, so they have to come up with another way to generate the tax. Which And that was that was a... So then you have to factor in, is it better to stay with a gas car or buy an electric car? Because they're, they're more expensive than a gas car, Although, though you do get a tax credit. Yeah. Uh, and there are incentives. You need to watch that and, and tell no, the listeners do. about yeah. that because that's a way of, of coming in sideways on you and me that we never anticipated. Well, and this, in this world we live in today, we don't, it's hard to anticipate <laughs> anything. Yeah. Uh, but. I guess, and, and these are new cars we're talking about now, but you do have uh, pre-owned cars. Oh, and you're sure selling, we and, and it, we're not in any way suggesting you shouldn't consider a used car. Absolutely. In this particular case, on this particular type of client that I had, I recommended it. Well, and it was, a, it was like you said, it's a very niche little deal that you had here. Yeah. Uh, because if somebody wants a, a big uh, a Tahoe-type car, this is That's a totally different, a totally different animal, right. and uh, and you're right. going to pay more, and you're going to extend the lease out of more years. So That's right. It was all, this is just something I thought was really cool. And, I yeah. said, and if listeners want to find out about that, they could call me on my cell and, and would tell them about it. Absolutely. Uh, well, and speaking of that, how do they get ah. a hold of you? Fancy you ask. <laughs> All right, uh, folks, you could reach me, of course, at Jim Karras Chevrolet and ask for George, or catch me on my cell, 901-491-8343. Be happy to help you. We can out there. Uh, he's going to be there tomorrow at 7 yeah, a.m. be out on there Channel early, 3. Ready, to, ready to sell. Go look at this uh, little trailblazer. I think you'll be very impressed with it, the, the price, the, the length of the lease, and, and just the car yeah. itself. It's a great little car. Thank you. Thank you, George. Gully, you have a great weekend. Well, thank you, and you all out there have a great weekend as well. We'll see you on TV in the morning. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. 
Welcome back on this uh, Friday afternoon. Well, I'm ready for the weekend. I don't know about you, but all this uh, hot weather wears you out. Even though it really wasn't that hot this week, we had a, a very mild week, especially in the evening. I remember last night, um, I was I got home and I was sitting out on the deck for a few minutes. We went out to dinner with um, my good friends, uh, Ron and Vicki Olson with Kathy, and we went to Bangkok Alley, which uh, had a great meal there. I love Bangkok Alley. But before we left, I was sitting out there, had a nice breeze coming just uh, down the golf course through there, and I went, God, this feels great. And I think we should have a similar night tonight, and it's get down to 63 by tomorrow morning, which is fantastic. And as we said earlier in the show, uh, every day we're getting closer and closer to um, to fall. And will we be glad it's fall this year? I hadn't had a chance to look at the uh, the um, almanac to find out what kind of winter they're calling for this year. I did see something the other day that said we we should have more uh, cold weather than normal. But I'm not going to complain about cold weather. <laughs> we can always put on more coats, you know, get some hand warmers and uh, get in the car. I got my little heater I have out on the deck. I can't wait to break that thing out again. Because uh, uh, this has been a hot one, and it still is. I mean, Texas is still going through. I think uh, it was going to be a heat index or a heat of 115 in Dallas today. So it's uh, folks out west still having to put up with it. We were talking about uh, Elvis Presley's favorite sandwich earlier, and I did not know this, even though I knew he loved a nanner sandwich. And it, how it all came about, it said, no secret, the king was a man of a singular taste, from the rhinestone studded jumpsuits to the shag carpet covered jungle room at Graceland, but nobody ever accused Elvis Presley of being understated, which is true. Even when he was in high school, he, he was designing his own clothes. He would actually sew on uh, stripes on the outside legs of his pants, like a military, like a cavalry guy that uh, you would see in the movies. Uh, same goes for his appetite as his razzle-dazzle style. The king's culinary taste ventured into the flamboyant, idiosyncratic, idiosyncratic. And uh, yeah, for starters, there was his penchant for behemoth sandwich he first discovered in Colorado, in Denver. As the story goes, after a 1976 concert, Elvis and his bodyguards ventured into the now-closed Colorado Mine Company restaurant for a bite to eat. There he ordered a fool's gold loaf, a sandwich made with a loaf of sourdough bread. This sounds just like Elvis. A pound of bacon, a jar of peanut butter, and a jar of jelly. Uh, Espos put the sandwich at a whopping 8,000 calories, which I think is about the same as a Big Mac, some fries, and a, and a, and a Coke at <laughs> McDonald's now. Something I don't believe. The Big Mac has a lot of calories. But fast forward a bit and back to Graceland, Elvis got a late night hankering for the loaf. And just as any good rock and roll legend would do, he hopped on his private jet <laughs> with a couple of friends in tow and flew to Denver. The owners of the restaurant met him at the hunger or at the hangar with a pile of enormous sandwiches. Some say they brought twenty two, others say thirty. He enjoyed his fool's gold loaf without ever leaving the hangar. Stories say he paired it with a Perrier and champagne. I don't believe that because he never drank champagne. Then headed back to Memphis. And that's a lot of things, a lot of something people didn't know that Elvis never did drink. Um, later on, we found out that he was taking a lot of pills, but they came from his, uh, from doctors. So we thought they were all right because it came from a doctor. Of course, we all know now that that ain't the case. But back then, he didn't drink, and the, the bodyguards... 
uh, they didn't tell him, but man, and, and I've read and I've actually interviewed some of them, and they admitted that uh, back during the day there was a lot of drug use in Graceland, but Elvis never took any illicit drugs. And uh, but he was, uh, yeah, his the pills did all kinds of stuff to him. I think eventually that's what killed him because it impacted his intestines. And if you take any kind of uh, uh, opioids, it slows your entire system down, your digestive system. It does just, just to kill pain. It actually puts everything in, almost in a suspended animation. If you take it over a long enough period of time, it stops your digestion and your, your intestines become impacted. And once that happens, it's a game over. And I've known a number of people over the years. And I, sadly, so many women that get hooked on pills, that's how they die, is because they you know, their system slows down and there's nothing. It's at one point, there's just nothing you can do. And uh, that's that ends up being the death of them. And it's just so sad. I was There's a, uh, a movie or a documentary on Netflix my sister was telling me about it called Painkiller. And it's about the Oxycontin epidemic that something like, 300,000 people died of Oxycontin because of the addiction to that. And there's still people on it. I thought that they had banned it, but apparently uh, there are people on what they call pain management programs where they have to sign a contract with the doctor that they won't go doctor shopping and get it anywhere else. Because once these people get hooked on this stuff, it's, it's like worse than heroin. You just can't get off of it. Uh, but that's why now when the rest of us go to the doctor and have an operation, like when I got my hip replaced, they give you Tylenol. That's it. Suck it up, son. Here's a bullet to bite on, but you ain't going to get no more drugs. And, uh, which is great. I mean, we shouldn't have ever been taking all those anyway, but they used to just hand them out. Like, you know, give you a bottle of, uh, 30 painkillers. And if you run out of that, you can just call up and have the prescription filled again. And just uh, and and we, and we were talking about the people that were in the pharmaceutical drug business. There was I talked to somebody who said they knew a kid out in West Texas that worked in a lumber yard in sales, and he quit to go to work for one of the drug companies. And and one of the products that he was selling was OxyContin. And they told him when he went to work for him that he'll make between two hundred fifty and three hundred thousand his first year. This kid was like right out of college. So that's why when you see all these people that uh, young people that went into the pharmaceutical sales, how they did very well. Uh, sadly, though, they uh, and the drug companies even made more money than that. But it's called Painkiller, uh, and it's on Netflix. Uh, check it out; it's a very interesting uh, movie. And and if you've ever known anybody that's been hooked on uh, pills, you know how, how just horrible it is. Uh, and uh, I'm looking at somebody who just sent me a message. Uh, um, said, uh, each thousand years. Uh, there will be controls, maybe transactions. This is uh, whistleblowers Biden administration preparing to bring back full COVID restrictions. Uh, rollout to begin mid September. ECB President Christian Lagarde, CBDC, will be used for control. Uh, cash transaction above a thousand euros already banned. Jail or fines if you're caught. With CBDC euro, there will be controls. Maybe transactions of three to four hundred euros won't be controlled. Anything above that will be. So here we go again. I don't know if you've heard lately. They're saying that there are cases in Shelby County of uh, COVID and some kind of e 
dash nine Z. They've got some new name for it. Uh, good luck getting everybody locked down again. That's all I got to say. Uh, and you know, you, it's up to you if you want to take another booster shot. As for me, I ain't doing it. I, I don't even know if I'm going to get a flu shot this year. And uh, it's it just here we go again. Just in time for fall and just in time for the next election. Good luck, everybody. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back. Randy Rive, the dive shop, is coming in. Talk about the big luau tomorrow. Welcome back on this uh, Friday afternoon. We're joined in the studio now with uh, Randy Wright of the Dive Shop and Nolan, who's with Dive Ventures, um, lives up the country, but uh, he's in town busy. Came in for the luau. In fact, I just got a message from Paul Shanklin, uh, who's a regular on the show, and he said, when's the luau? <laughs> yeah, Paul, come on out and see us, man. It's tomorrow from 1 to 4. The uh, I put up a picture of uh, last year's event, yeah. and, and uh, that, that pig is gorgeous. Yeah, well, I mean, that guy, Hunter Winfrey, has more grand championships in the Memphis and May circuit on whole hog than any person that ever lived. And, so, pe- and people that don't know about the, the difficulty in cooking a whole hog have no idea how difficult it is. It's not like cooking a steak. Every piece has to be just exactly right to win a contest. And to win an actual championship on whole hog is almost unheard of. Ribs win more than anything, yeah. you know, ribs and shoulders and that sort of thing. So when you start winning whole contest with whole hog, that's a that's an incredible thing. Because each part of the hog has to be cooked a different way. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, but it's all in one piece. Yeah. So that would be like uh, you're cooking pancakes, uh, a steak, uh, a chicken. All in the same all pan. The, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly it. Nolan, are you a barbecue aficionado? Oh, I love barbecue. I love yeah. great barbecue, and I'm excited about tomorrow to experience it because I've heard all about it. Uh, in this, oh, the early summer, I was in Little Rock for the fish fry. I didn't get to experience the crab, fi- uh, the crawfish boil. Yeah. So I'm excited for the the barbecue. Well, this will be this will be incredible, and uh, the fish fry would be just kind of like appetizers for <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah, we got <laughs> we've got the whole hog. We're going to do that, and it's a, it's a pig. You know, the the I grew up in South Louisiana, and there was a thing down there called couchon de lait, and that's a suckling pig, right? Um, milk pig. So you get these little small pigs, and you cook them really fast. We don't. Down there, no slow and low. No, there's no slow and low. Basically, you put them in a wire rack and you spin them in front of a hot fire and keep the fire blazing until the fat stops dripping. And the first time I did it up here, there was a bunch of barbecue guys going around. They're like, what "That's not going to work. That ain't going <laughs> to. You can't do that." You know, and he, son, you don't know nothing about cooking pig. Um, but it, it turned out really, really good. But it's more like a broiled pork flavor than it is a, a deep smoke barbecue type of thing you know i was watching one of my favorite shows meat eater which they yeah. not only hunt but they also show how to cook different kinds of things and they had a chef from texas and uh probably one of the best wild game chefs and he shot a uh, wild uh, feral hog but it was a piglet right yeah uh, probably weighed maybe 15 20 pounds something like yeah. that and uh they said so is the this meat better than a big big mama hog he goes yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah. It really is. I mean, that's the whole couchon delay thing. This we get a small pig, 
this one will be probably, uh, you know, in the, in the neighborhood of 40, 45 pounds as opposed to what you're cooking in a contest, which is 75, 80 pounds type of stuff. So it's about half the size. Um, so it takes a little bit, and that's more along the lines of the luau and the, the way the Hawaiians cook pigs and so forth like that. Uh, it will have some smoke on it because, you know, we, we are a we, you got to. Yeah, professional <laughs> barbecue type of organization. We're also doing jerk chicken. Ah. Uh, we'll have that. Uh, now, I do, do you smoke your jerk chicken? Oh, uh, we do. Um, so, yeah, it's we've got the, the jerk seasonings and all that put together. We'll marinate them overnight, and then we'll put the pieces on, and it'll it'll go on the smoker. Uh, and, and it's not as slow-smoked. Uh, but, is, is, you know, jerk chicken really is a smoked dish. They cook it over pimento wood, which is allspice. Uh, now, we don't have any allspice wood. so that, What do you use? Uh, we're going to be using pecan. Okay, because I got uh, some pecan wood. I, yeah. you know, I just got a, a new electric smoker yeah. master built, and uh, I, I cooked some ribs last weekend. They were fantastic, and I'm looking forward to it. I may do some uh, jerk chicken this weekend. There you go. Well, I've got a lot of seasoning. You come by tomorrow, and I'll set you up. Well, you uh, did the last yeah. time I cooked my ribs with your seasoning. And, no, this uh, is... This is one that comes from Jamaica. And oh, this is for specifically for jerk chicken. Right, specifically for jerk chicken. I lived off of yeah. jerk chicken in, in Jamaica because the other stuff I didn't like that much. But I lived that and their goat burgers on the beach. Yeah. Goat burgers are delicious. Yeah, we got that. I'm going to do some peas and yams, which is uh, uh, it's basically black beans and, and sweet potatoes. Real nice savory dish. We'll have some steamed corn. Uh, we're going to do some um, grilled pineapple for dessert. Uh, we've got drinks, um, you know, we've got a, got a lot of cold beverages and that kind of stuff. We'll have music. We're giving away a whole lot of prizes. That's what I get into. You know, my friend Chuck Baker got a, yeah. a wetsuit at the Absolutely. last place he had. And, and he's a big boy. That's a 40 acres of wetsuit. Yeah, right there, there you go. <laughs> yeah, they, they, we, we get them in all sizes. Can you all come on out? But yeah, we're giving away a trip. Now you do have to be 18 and a certified scuba diver. Uh, to win this particular prize, but we're giving That's a, a week, trip, right? A week long vacation to the Philippines. Wow. All inclusive resort. They're called Atlantis Resorts. They're really, really nice. The diving over there is very, very special. Some of the best in the world. Uh, and you'll be able to be there for an entire week with all your food and drinks and diving and all that taken care of. And when is the trip going to take place? Uh, whenever you. Oh, so you, just, yeah. so you just pick up and yeah. you got the. Yeah, now we may plan a trip to the Philippines, and and then you can come and go with us. Uh, that would be what I'd want to do. Yeah, that's, that's what you guys do in dive ventures. You guys go all over the world, and part of the the advantage of going with you guys is you've been to all these places before. It's not like uh, me showing up going, "Where's the bar?" Yeah, <laughs> uh, we already know. They where know where is. the bar is. <laughs> in fact, we'll have a meeting there after we first arrive. That's uh, right. But yeah, that's one of those kind of things to where, yeah, the nice thing about travel is that, you know, and particularly with dive ventures and of course the dive shop, the, the, the big thing is you're going to be traveling with a travel professional whose job it is to make sure that your vacation goes the way it's supposed to go. Whether it's airport troubles or you get to the resort and, and you don't like the TV set or the control doesn't work or, or what it, you just want to know, what are we doing tomorrow? We're going to have a precise list of what's happening tomorrow for you to enjoy and what's happening the next day and the next day and the next day, and you can choose to participate or not. Um, but you don't, you're don't. you not in that, well, what are we going to do? Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, there's tons of stuff to do, and we've got a line on all of it. 
Yeah, I've never heard you say, what are we going to do before? Yeah. We're, we're going to have a big old time. You just hang on. Let's go. Then, Dolan, how did you get into the dive business? Uh, I've been in the dive business for 34 years as a professional, and I grew up in a dive store. Um, at 19, I got certified. Wow. And uh, so I then wound up working in that store and then went into management with that store. And then now I'm with Dive Ventures. They purchased one of our legacy stores, the one I grew up in, just like uh, the dive yeah, shops. And we've always had a connection, Randy and I. We've known each other for 30-some-odd years. And and so I'm excited to be part of this because now we're 18 stores nationwide. Wow. And all this synergy. I, last week I was in Nassau and in the Exumos of the Bahamas with a group uh, out of Atlanta. So we had people from Atlanta. We had people from Lexington, Kentucky. And we had some people from Phoenix, Arizona, and even Omaha. But the bulk was from Atlanta. But, you know, I, it was great. I get to experience all kinds of different people from different parts of our country, and we get to go share the joy of scuba diving with them. And that makes them feel comfortable when they know that they're with someone who has a lot of knowledge and experience traveling internationally. And that's what Randy talks about all the time is that he gets as much joy out of watching people experiencing what he's experienced many times. So it's not the newness to him it's the newness to them and he gets to see it again yeah, yeah that's which that's is kind of cornerstone in our industry people mm-hmm. that people that are in this industry are that way are are if you if you love diving that's one thing but if you love seeing other people's response to what is going on that's where true dive professionals kind of get their their best experience is when we can put people in places to see things and do things Mm -hmm. that otherwise they probably never would have done well and the other thing too is uh you don't just have to wait until the dive shop comes up with the trip uh you've got access to venture dives and all those stores are going and so you come into the dive shop you go what trips you got coming you go well sit down (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly right you know and that's one of the joys of this organization being the size that it is and growing is that people know they can jump in on any trip we have no matter what store is originating it memphis little rock atlanta or even springfield where i'm from and they can enjoy that i was in colorado springs not that long ago and we had people that met me and said hey i'm going next week with the springfield store to cozumel how exciting is that? So, well, it's like everybody says about Memphis being landlocked. How did you get a dive shop in, in Memphis? The same thing, Colorado Springs. There ain't no oceans around there. Either. There are not. <laughs> there's there's no oceans around any of these stores. You know, that's a that, something that we answer quite a bit. And you know, there was a time when people watched shows like Sea Hunt and and that sort of thing on TV and got interested in this and open stores in these odd places. And that's the the world that we grew up in. And it's really cool because those stores have long-term personalities that have been a part of this world. And we grew up mentored by those people and, uh, and of course, are carrying that legacy forward. I mean, Springfield's been open how long? Uh, the previous store? Yeah. It was 35 years before Dive Ventures bought it, and now it's been an additional 12 years since then. So, But yeah. the other thing is just both you guys uh, have – this has been a lifelong uh, sure. job for you yep. in, in so many industries. People, they come, they go, they, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. you talk to anybody uh, in the news business, how long have you been here? A year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do next year? I don't know. 
Right. The dive shop's got 63 years in yep. this coming February. I mean, that's a, and, that's and a, a landmark business. Yeah. We got to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We'll talk more about the luau tomorrow and make sure you're there and also some upcoming trips uh, that they will be going on. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back on this Friday afternoon. A reminder again, the dive shop. Uh, on Yates and at Yates and Poplar tomorrow at one o'clock, they got the big luau kicking off. Yeah, it's going to be a big time. Everybody's invited. You don't have to be a regular customer. You, you will become a regular person, yeah, a customer, if you come to this thing. Yeah, yeah. come out and join us. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've got some uh, new equipment from Scuba Pro that we brought in just for this show. We're going to have people that, you know, if you're a diver, you'll be able to get in and try some new stuff and see what that's like. Uh, we've got, um, like I say, there's, there's all kinds of prizes, just little, little kind of house prizes and things like that. There are a couple of other really nice prizes besides the Philippine trip. So, you know, we give those out during the day. We've got great food. We'll have music, uh, and just a bunch of people hanging out, having a good time. This is about the people that have made us so successful in town, which are the divers in Memphis, Tennessee. Our customers are the reason that we're here. Uh, and we hope that anybody that's listening that wants to wants to experience what our world is about and swim, snorkel, and scuba, come out and see us. We'll show you that what's going on. We just uh, want to announce today that as of uh, September 1st, Lisa Anderson, uh, who was a swim instructor for us, is coming on as our swim experience lead. All right. So within just another 30 to 45 days, we'll have swim kicked off again at the dive shop. We'll be doing kids, adults. Uh, we've got plans to have water aerobics and all kinds of other programs available. Uh, back, be back in the swim market in a big way in just a, a month or forty-five days. Just a huge shortage nationwide of swim instructors, and I mean, such it, an important thing. Yeah, uh, I know that we try to get my grandson over there. And you go, we're, we're looking for somebody to yeah. teach it. You know, and we've been looking, but we're bringing her on. She's gonna, great. she's gonna go through some management training and stuff like that before she gets to Memphis, and once she gets there. We'll be actively seeking out new instructors and new experiences for swim in Memphis. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, Nolan's going to be here. He's uh, uh, part of the Dive Venture Group, which is 18 stores now, right? That's correct. And uh, so you'll be able to talk to him about things. But I think the biggest selling point are the other people that come that, are, that have been customers for years and travel with you all over the world. You get a chance to talk to them. I mean, that, and believe me, they don't keep coming back because they have a bad time. And yeah, well, we, we try to have a good time, whether we're in Memphis, Tennessee at a luau or, uh, you know, whether we're out on the road someplace going diving. Uh, the next trip you have coming out of the dive shop is going where? Personally, I'm going to Grand Cayman. I'm going the 6th through the 10th of uh, December. It's going to be a little short trip. Uh, just going down there for three days of diving. I, Sunset House is one of the most beautiful places. called Sunset House for a reason. The sunsets are gorgeous there. And so we'll get in three nice days of diving. Cayman's real easy to get to, not too much connection-wise. And then coming up in January, we've got a a three-day weekend going to Cozumel. And then over um, Valentine's Day, we're going to Belize, to Ramon's Village, Hunter Winfrey and his wife, uh, which he's the guy cooking the pig tomorrow. Come by and meet Hunter. And and if you want to go to Belize uh, for for Valentine's Day, uh, that would be a great time to to meet him, find out about that trip, and, and join us on that one. And then, of course, it goes on throughout the year. Well, Belize have been to have been to Honduras, uh, El yeah. Salvador, but to Honduras and Belize both have great diving there. Second and, largest barrier reef in the world. Yeah. So, yeah. And, 
And relatively on spoil because not that many cruise ships go there, which yeah. is a good thing. Well, Belize even less so than yeah. Hon- than Honduras. Roatan gets more cruise ships. The cruise ships in Belize go to Belize City primarily, not out in the islands offshore on the reef. There are a number of people from Memphis that live in Belize now. Yeah, like Les Smith and uh, another guy, a reporter for the or photographer for the Commercial Appeal, moved down there years ago. They love it down yep, there. Yep, a lot of people on Ambergris Key in that area. Uh, in fact, Hunter's dad used to run a big cattle operation in Belize. There was a big Tennessee Texas connection in the cattle business, um, and so that was uh, the Winfrey family was really involved in that. The weird thing, I we got went to the steakhouse in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. Yeah. After we'd been in country, and we were dying to eat something besides, uh, you know, K rations, and went to the steakhouse, <laughs> and they, the fillet came out, and it was a round fillet. I'd never seen that before. Yeah. I mean, did you ever? I mean, it's something they do in Honduras. It's. Uh, I've, I've no, I've not seen that. We've been always off in the <laughs> islands, not in the mainland. In fact, Tagus is one of those places you hope you don't have to go through. <laughs> well, it, 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 no, and believe me, when we were walking the streets at night, because my photographer had blonde hair, and there was a crowd following us. They were yeah. just like we were. I was with a giraffe. I mean, <laughs> he said, "What is the deal with these people?" I said, "You have blonde hair and blue eyes, man." I said, "You are a freak. Yeah, you're <laughs> so, different, man." Not only that, there was a, everybody. Every business you passed, every residence you passed, there was a guy standing out front with a chrome-plated sawed-off shotgun. Wow. I'm sure now there are AR-15s, but yeah. back then they were just shotguns. It was wow. like Italy and the Godfather. Yeah, And uh, so I know what you mean about Tegucigalpa. It's, well, uh, it used to be when you flew into Belize City, there was a, a British military commando base on the airport <laughs> with four Harrier jump jets and gun turrets on all the corners. So <laughs> yeah, y'all come and join us at the dive shop at 999 South Yates, 1 to 4 tomorrow. Come luau with us. Enjoy your weekend. Go check it out. We'll see you Monday, same time, same place.